Welcome to the Wellspring, where the grace of God is bubbling up for you and for all people wherever you are. The Wellspring Podcast is a digital ministry of Muhlenberg Lutheran Church, coming to you from the friendly city of Harrisonburg, Virginia, where we pray that this time together may truly be a wellspring of God's grace for all people who listen, equipping you with new ways to live out Christ's love. Welcome to the Wellspring. It's a place for grace and faith and life and you. Hello there. I'm Pastor Alex Zuber. I use he, him pronouns, and I serve as the associate pastor of Muhlenberg Lutheran Church, overseeing youth, campus, and young adult ministry. I'm joined today by guest host and Muhlenberg member, Karen Barnes, a retired social worker, teacher, and all-around caregiver. It's so good for us to be together. This is episode number five, titled The Way is Wide, discussing chapters 8 through 11 of Trauma Stewardship, An Everyday Guide to Caring for Self While Caring for Others, by Laura Vandernoot Lipsky. Our guest host, Karen Barnes, offers reflections on her long career in various fields of caregiving and discusses four of the five directions that the book offers for finding your way to trauma stewardship. Creating space for inquiry, choosing our focus, building compassion and community, and finding balance are all directions in the wide way that each of us can follow. Through our discussion, we'll find ways of understanding the things that might burden us and hinder us from seeing these directions, and even reconcile the difference between a direction and a clear path. Paired with a study of Mark 6, 7-13, when Jesus commissions his disciples two by two, we see that the way of compassion is wide, and we never walk alone. Well, welcome back. It is good to be uh, back together for another episode of the Wellspring Podcast. Uh, I am delighted today to have the opportunity to walk through part four uh, of this wonderful book on trauma stewardship. Uh, We are uh, entering part four, which is finding your way to trauma stewardship. And I am uh, excited to welcome our guest host for today, uh, Karen Barnes, who I will... Karen has had a uh, a wide and wonderful career... uh, uh, and brings many wonderful reflections on that uh, that career in helping professions uh, to this conversation on finding your way. And so, uh, I'll let I'll let you introduce yourself, and and you can help explain why I invited you here today. Oh, that's good. Well, I'm tickled that Alex asked me. We had talked several times um, informally about. Um, the kind of work that I might do, that I have done, and then then also he brought up this book, and he said, this might be a good opportunity, but uh, I have lived here in Harrisonburg for over 30 years, but I've worked as a social worker, counselor, teacher, um, mentor, caregiver, specialist, primarily working with geriatric and their family, but have some years of working with children, but over the last 40-some years, so, you know, you can... You can pretty much tell how old I am, and now I'm retired, but also uh, this book is uh, has lent itself to my reflecting on all of these different pieces as we talk about trauma and stewardship. Um, I'd like to say maybe caregiving. We are in the role of helper and caregivers, so that, that has helped me f- frame what we're going to be talking about today, so... Yeah, well, I appreciate you bringing that perspective to this conversation, because I think for... Um, 
anyone who's, uh, who's I, I set this this whole uh, whole thing up under the premise of we're all experiencing trauma in the world around us today, and so if we just hope to bring a compassionate presence uh, to our world, we need to understand trauma stewardship because if we bring compassion to any one of our neighbors, we're going to experience uh, trauma and be stewarding that uh, that others are carrying. And um, and so that still feels true, but I think there's a lot of folks who have experience in uh, who will find a, a connection point in some of the experiences that you have either from their uh, from their careers or from their volunteer opportunities uh, at any of one of these moments or just within their families. And, and you've kind of seen this uh, whole this whole journey in different careers. And and uh, I know that in the in changing vocations, we often have to do a lot of discernment and find our way. And so this section four is about finding your way to trauma stewardship. And uh, as we were discussing before we, before we hit record here, um, there's, there's two really meaty sections to this book. Um, our two episodes ago, we heard the 16 warning signs of trauma exposure response. Um, our last episode was about uh, creating change from within, which I described um, as being kind of the, the spirit of this book, uh, where the 16 warning signs was very meaty. Uh, that was very spiritual last week. And this is getting back into more meaty, but I think spirit enlivened by the hopefully the internal work uh, that we've discussed. Because now we're uh, we're still in that wilderness that we described, but we've got this. I hope through this we're finding a sense of direction. Because throughout part four of this book, she's lifting up five directions, and we're going to talk about four of them uh, today. And she aligns them with our cardinal directions of uh, of north, east, south, and west. So we'll walk through uh, those different directions and what it means to find those. And our, and our final episode for the show next week will be about the fifth direction um, and with the daily practice of centering for self. Um, and so the, the four directions that we're going to talk about today um, relate to different elements. So she has them in here, but there's... Uh, there's four basic, uh, basic statements. The direction of north is about creating space for inquiry. East is about choosing our focus. South is about building compassion and community. And west is about finding balance. <sighs> Deep breath. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, and, and there's the, you know, the, the, the rub with this is, is we hear, okay, I hear all of that, and it sounds like a lot more work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've found reading this section that it's been pretty, pretty liberating and, and life-giving to, uh, to think about these, that they don't necessarily feel like work, but they feel like purpose and, and, and hope. Well, if anything, um, I like the idea that says directions because... Um, it, it's a guide, mm-hmm. and then and also the the other it's it's a lot of internal looking into yourself and then seeing what effect it has on other people. Um, and of course, the first the first direction is this inquiry, and that gets into looking into why we do what we do. Or, and and as I talk about myself, um, in my roles through my life, you know, some have been chosen, some have been given to me. Um, I mean, as a daughter or, uh, you know, a sister, you know, there are certain things that, that I recognized early on that I am, um, I'm a helper. I, I took on those roles. Um, 
maybe informally as well as formally, and then getting a degree in college and then going into a helping profession. I even worked my first, one of my first jobs in college was work, I worked as a CNA, and it worked for my classwork, and I, my mom was a director of nursing at a, a retirement community, and, and I knew what she did. I mean, I, she was a helper. She was the lady down the road that gave the in our in our rural country area. She was the one that would go give somebody shots, and so I I observed her, and she left me being responsible for helping my younger siblings. And so there was a, I got fed, so to speak, by being a helper. But in doing that, that that creates some stressors because we you have expectations of being a helper and choosing um, that as a vocation. Um, there's kind of a love-hate relationship sometimes with being a social worker, um, trying to deal with everybody else's problems. And that's part of this journey that we're talking about with these directions is that internal understanding of who we are as well as um, how do we find this sense of why do we do what we do and how do we... F- how do we help ourselves and help others and find a balance? And these are the steps. So it's constantly ever-changing. It's ever-changing. Yeah. Well, and this, this first direction is asking, why, why do we do what we do, not what do I want to do? And so that's, it's, very, it's a very different direction from one, of, uh, one that creates change for, mm-hmm. for self. I think there is, uh, it can lead to change. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's a very different kind of question from... What do I want to do? Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't the, uh, the, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up kind of question. Um, this is one that, uh, particularly I think if you're established in a vocation, can feel really scary to ask because uh, you don't even want to begin pulling at that thread of, um, of asking, why am I doing this? Is this working for me? Is another mm-hmm, one of the questions mm-hmm, that she mm-hmm. lifts up here. And, um, you know, I, I acknowledge in the, in the very first episode, the time that I took leave uh, to, to, to step away for, for medical leave and to care for my own physical and mental health and uh, was encouraged to ask that very question of myself of, is this working for me? Uh, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I a pastor? And I really didn't want to start pulling on the threads of that because what if, mm-hmm. what if I came to an answer that meant that I was going to be Changing careers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was terrifying. Mm-hmm. I just bought a house. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know I mean, all, all of the all of the very tangible vocational things, but in my reflection of looking at my journey over over my forty some work years, but then also it you know that's happened. That inquiry of why am I doing what I'm doing? Yeah, and and it, it ebbs and flows. Because there are times it's like, okay, and I have made changes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have, I, as I said, I was a CNA, and that was a kind of a building block. So when I got my social degree, I got, um, I went into uh, being a social worker at a standalone nursing home. And this was 1980, so, you know, a lot of years ago. Yeah. And did that for a while, and then um, stayed in that, and married, and, and moved around. And then I worked into a, another retirement community, a larger retirement community, as social service service director, so I was dealing with staff, but it was helpful as you look at the things that were built upon. Now, I, you know, uh, as I look at it on a, on a developmental kind of state life stage thing, you know, where I started, I built upon those things, and then I, um, I moved to the Valley. My husband got a job at JMU, and 
And then I took on uh, the role uh, out of VMRC. Some people might know VMRC. Mm-hmm. And that's a large, uh, you know, turned out to be 900-some people. And, and the kind of work I did there basically was um, dealing with all of the ins and outs and family traumas and uh, residence traumas and staff traumas, you know, where they were not enough resources to do what I need to do. Um, and then I got into administration. And each time I had made these changes, I would ask myself, why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I, am I crazy? Yeah. Um, but then I also was fed, you know, with the, and, and that's true with uh, growing up with a mother as a nurse. Um, there were a number of nurses in my family system, teachers, mm-hmm. um, theologians, you know. Uh, you know, you see them doing those things why are they doing what they're doing? There was some intrinsic kind of uh, positive feedbacks, but then also it's like, you didn't make much money, and you worked an awful long hours, and you had to deal with tough systems, and and then you had people that didn't always live up to your expectations. And so, um, and then how do you help those people that worked for you? Um, So I build upon those things, and I, I understood all of those different components, whether it's the um, component of families and what they're going through or the residents trying to bridge those things or dealing with staff that had that I needed to advocate for too if I had supervised them, you know, you know, help train and supervise them, as well as once I got an administration, where's the money for this? Yeah. So, you know, this, this whole inquiry of asking back, where, why am I doing what I'm doing? Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad that you could lift up that, it, that it, it was a question that fed you at times. I mean, sometimes it led to a change. Sometimes it fed you. Because, you know, when I, when I asked that question for myself, ultimately, you know, I, I discovered that, yeah, I do still want to be a pastor. Here are the reasons why. And yeah. I was able to come back, I think, in a, in a healthier sense. And it's not to say that, you know, someone asking that question might not learn a very faithful answer about why they want to change. But there's a, I think that there's a fearlessness that we need to ask a question like that. And my, Micah spoke last week of a fearless moral inventory when talking yeah. about that internal work. Uh-huh. So that feels like a lesson that's carrying through yeah. of not being unafraid to ask yourself that question and and being okay with being led in a new direction, because mm-hmm. the new direction might be a new understanding of why you do what you do, a new mm-hmm. insight into into what that um, into what that looks like. And um, well, you know, going back to my journey too, yeah. in the in in the discernment, each time I made a change. Of course, I left uh, this administrative role and um, did a couple grant kind of things, but really pondered, do I, do I want this as a vocation? Do I want to even mm-hmm. stay in human services? Do I, I was so burnt out. Um, but then I went back to some of my roots and worked for Valley Program for Aging as a caseworker. So I was back to working with clients, their families, their children, the systems, and found that that's kind of, um, that's the piece that fed me. I mean, sure, there were frustrations of, you know, not enough money and you didn't get paid well. I mean, and, and yet, you know, you had to, uh, you saw that there weren't resources to help the people that you really want to. There, I didn't have the control over yeah. helping them. And yet, um, at that point in my life, I think I was 50 probably, that I realized it's really about relationships. 
Mm-hmm. And so I changed my focus and my inquiry about what is it that really feeds me. I say, you know, I, it, you know, it wasn't the avocation of, uh, I mean, the vocation of the jumping career, you know, moving up in careers, and I, I, you know, got into administration. But then coming back to the root of what maybe a social worker might do or a helper would do, and um, found that was a good place for me to be, you know. And then I stepped out, um, decided to retire, and took care of my grandson. So the caregiving role. The caregiving. I had that. Yeah, I've been a care. Yeah, caregiver. So now and then, every time I, um, and then in my role at church, um, I'm ready to jump into some other things too. So um, I'm at a new. I'm at a crossroads now, jumping off place. Now that we got through COVID. Yeah. I mean that's another whole. Conversation, oh isn't it? It has yes. been. Well, and that was one that I think was was severely disorienting for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so, this aspect of finding our direction in the midst of this—that uh, was a—that has been a time that has and continues to raise, I think, yeah. these kind of questions, uh, sometimes unwillingly. Mm-hmm. Um, of, of why do I do what I do? And you mentioned a shift in focus, which I want to come back to that because it's a good bridge to the next direction yes. where we talk about moving east yes. uh, in, in uh, choosing our focus. But the um, I, I love that you talked about the the help the role models of helping that you saw, the ones that uh, kind of helped guide you into the, into the way that you've helped. Uh, she also talks about a different form of... Um, of purpose and a different source of why um, within this is to say that for, for some folks, a reason for engaging in helping work can be um, trauma mastery, mm-hmm. where she lifts up this idea that trauma mastery is one way of coping with trauma for many survivors of trauma. Our lack of control over a traumatic incident is one of the most terrifying and unnerving things about it. Um, and that, that lack of feeling in control can really be, um, an incredibly disruptive um, disruptive thing to us. So as we discern a path, as we discern what to do, we, we can often find ourselves in helping roles as a means of reconciling that lack of con- control and recreating situations as similar to the traumatic incident as possible while where you felt powerless in one situation, you say, this is going to be a different outcome. And she looks up that the, the trauma mastery emerges in our lives in three primary places, our activities, our relationships, and our choice of work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, have you, I mean, I, 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 with the people that you've worked with uh, through the years or in yourself, have you seen trauma mastery as a motivation for uh, for someone? Yeah, I have, you know, we... You know, your friend spoke last time um, dealing with addiction. There Mm -hmm. are many folks that struggle with their own addiction, and they might have had those things in their families, and they end up going into addiction counseling Mm -hmm. or that they've had to deal with that. Uh, Other folks that might be, and I've seen this uh, systematically as I look at um, family systems, family groups, uh, um, the type of work, folks that have experienced I call it a big trauma, a big T trauma, you know, where you have, we tend to think of trauma as being PTSD, you know, some military or something, and then you have other people going into helping other people that have gone through that. Or we see somebody that has been in an abusive relationship that are helping now going into counseling and helping that. Um, I always laugh because I grew up with grandparents, both you know, grandparents, and and I got the message early on that 
helping older folks and and um, taking care of old, older folks. I mean, my mother was very much, a, she took care of everybody else more than she took care of herself. And I, I tend to have done that through my life. And so um, um, I also know that as I deal with... Um, as I deal with child, you know, child development, I have some child development in my background, so I worked with teen moms a few times when I was in graduate school, and knowing that parenting, I was a young parent at that time, so helping young teens fit at that time. You know, that was worked for me. There were a few years where I wasn't working with geriatrics. Um, uh, people that... Um, Something else that I did in light of my experience with caregivers, um, I worked, there was a program at JMU that uh, we worked with Valley Program in JMU uh, that we helped, it was called Caregiving Community Network, and we helped work students who were not traditional uh, nursing students, they were OTPT, uh, social work, psychology, that um, I taught a class on assessing through home visits and assessing needs and basing resources and we would do home visits and so partnering these young people with an older person of which I would always say in the class that you know more likely you'll be working with people 50 and older I mean that you'll be working with people that in my age this was 10 years ago um, that you know you need to understand where they are in their lives and what they are doing and how how they are managing and, and some of the generational differences, but also all of the similarities. We're yeah. human, the relationships there. So you talk about building upon vocations or my own experience. Um, that was that seemed to be the the uh, the the focus and reframing of, of how you can make some changes through the years. Mm-hmm. You know, my refocusing, and that that was very enlightening because I can do that. I did that as a part of my casework, but I use my clients, like my older clients, with the students and uh, helped guide. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I, I love that. That that's one of the things I love about intergenerational opportunities yeah. within the church. I yeah. mean, is is a is a great thing um, because. You know, in those types of settings, we get to learn from one another, get to find our similarities, um, and and I think within that, find the inspiration of others, and we can find more about our inspiration and the relationships we have um, with others. And, and I think it does lead to that shift in focus, like you're describing, because um, one of the things she lists up here in the in the discussion on the east direction of choosing our focus, um, being one of the means of finding our way in trauma stewardship, um, she, she talks about when we open ourselves to inspiration, we may also rediscover our passion. This is the perfect moment to be honest about what we are able to accomplish in our existing job and what our options might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she's, as she goes through the rest of this, she would extend job to mm-hmm. vocation, calling, mm-hmm. family, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. your neighborly relationships, things like that. Um, and so the, the, the searching questions that we talk about in the first direction, I think open the door for this shift in perspective, this opening to inspiration and what inspires you to do your work. Um, and we renew our passion and we place our focus in different places. So what is what has shifting focus looked like where you 
you're still you. You're still bringing your your gifts to the table. Uh, what is when you shift your focus? Does it come with needing to cultivate new gifts, or, or what is well, what is the role within y- that? Y- interestingly, um, I've been fortunate in that you know I can look back retrospectively, you know, and 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 see all the learning, you know, I, and, I, and even as I share with students, as I did in the class, I would share my own experiences of what I saw at certain ages or how things have changed, how things have, and really, while there's different changes in service delivery or resources, what I have found um, are relationships with people on a developmental level as a need-based level hasn't changed we all need the same things mm-hmm. and and trying to help the students uh, at that point you know understand kind of walk in somebody else's shoes and that gets into the, some of the compassion that we talk about but but um, I've been able to be reflective of those things and right now as I'm 66 years old um, I uh, I am ready to what what purposeful things can I do in the area of serving and and uh, caring and helping um, I I am I am learning I still want to learn um, I don't necessarily have to be bound by eight hours a day or the yep. <laughs> the long or or the requirements of course you know it's what can I do to help serve right. and uh, refocusing that I in my core, kind of like as as you're a pastor or a nurse or a teacher or could be a police officer. I mean, somehow the vocations have been established, but there's also some core roots of that's our identity yeah. and who we are. And even as I retired and stepped out, I had to do some discernment in myself of like, who am I and, and what's my role and uh, am I of value or what can I do to help? Or um, And those relationships change, our work relationships change. And, and how do you refocus that? And what new things do you want to do? Yeah, I have more time to garden. You know, I, I did buy a new house and so yeah. now I, I have a whole yard I have to really mess with. So some of those focuses and looking at what can I learn what can I learn and what can I do, not just to help myself, but um, see things a little bit, give myself permission to um, to do that for myself as well. That's a focus. Self-care. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, I haven't done that really well through my life. Now it's like, in the last few years, it's like I've asked myself that a lot. Yeah. And is it not selfish? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I know yeah, you had that conversation too with Micah. Yeah. yeah. That, and that's a, and and so that that lesson I hope yeah. carries through yeah. all of this is to say that that shifting focus in a time really really hard within a helping profession yeah. often to shift focus uh, in a season to self care mm-hmm. um, and say oh I really want to do and do and do mm-hmm. but I need to stop and yep. I need to shift my focus to caring for myself in this yeah. season I, I'm looking at parental leave coming up. I know up you are. Yeah, and I see that. And, you know, it's funny because I love yeah. the fact that when I see young people starting their families, it's like, you know, what, you know, you're going to get lots of words of wisdom. You know, yeah. that's what, that's what people like me, you know, old people do. Um, it's just that we now recognize what we needed to do yeah. at that time. And you're talking about a focus. I have gone from, I've always been a doer mm-hmm. and have been busy. And it's like, you know, sometimes we, you're busy just because we don't want to deal with some other stuff, mm-hmm. you know, too. 
Uh, and I've seen that in families and people with trauma. It's like, you know, I don't have time to do this and this and this and this. Where being is what I say now I need to allow myself to be. Yeah. Not do, right. but to be. And that's okay. If I don't do things, I shouldn't feel guilty. But um, I've, I've had this people-pleasing helper kind of mode, mode for a long while that it, it can be a curse, too. Yeah. Well, and I think that there are there are circumstances and factors in life that will shift your focus whether mm-hmm. you want it to or oh, not. Yeah, that's and, right. I, and I think this aspect of the east direction here and this and this intentionality behind it is about saying I'm at least want to keep a hand on the wheel on mm-hmm. on where my focus ends up if it has to move because mm-hmm. yeah, I'm about to I'm about to look away and shift focus to family very oh, intensely for these these weeks that I'll be off when um, when our daughter's born and so I'm I'm so excited for that. And and then the intentionality that need, I know needs to come with that will be, I'm going to come back to work. How? Where do I then lay my focus? What? What? How do I focus and, and and shift that focus and shift that direction and reframe my understanding of of my work and calling and the things that I do in order to be attentive to these new circumstances that I'm in and that that mindfulness of of being aware that these things are there is going to be. I think I hope far healthier than me saying um, I'm just going to charge back in like nothing's changed and I'm going to be getting pulled in a completely new yeah. different direction. Yeah. Uh, well, that, the concept of that. reframing because yeah. we, you can only look through your eyes of what you know now as a minister mm-hmm. or as a helper as it is, and now then and you, you know you're going to take on a new role. That's why I said the the roles that we have in our lives. We have to think how has that been part of us? I mean, as I yeah. brought up being a daughter and a, so things that were beyond my control, things that were in my control. Now you have two things that were within your focus and control, but you have to reframe saying, how is this going to look? Yeah. How is this going to, you know, and you almost have to almost wipe the slate clean to say, okay, it might be how you structure your day, how you, um, what, how you prioritize things, because some things can't, stay the same you know you know that in your head but in your heart you still want to be able to i need to be this is what my role is as a pastor yeah yeah so here i'm i'm being your cheerleader here honey so (laughs) yeah no and that's and i think that's that's the the aspect of not doing this alone Uh, i think it's gonna be one of the the big things that we we see in this is having the people that will support you in in cultivating this sense of direction in different times and 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 those that can understand a reframing and that when when your energy and your, your your focus shifts from one thing to another um in life and you start reframing the things that that you do there might be some that don't understand that um and and they might not understand well well, your priority was here before why is your priority here now and and to say well we're in a different we're in a different season and that was that was my focus there and if i wasn't able to hand it off to somebody to do uh to 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 lead that and it needed to be let go i i I think i faithfully discerned that um and so having people that are going to be around you that can help support you and keep you accountable to the ways that you shift focus is is a really important um a really important thing and and that's going to be one of the things that she 
she gets into uh, in here is is the way that we we do this work together. Well, you know, and it makes me think too. And this was part of I think the the balance between helping and losing yourself and all that is that we we have this mindset of what do people expect of me, mm-hmm. and then and, and you know what do I expect of myself, and those expectations. If they're not clear by everybody involved, whether it's in a church family or whether community or whether it's in a work community, um, verbalizing those expectations and understanding where everybody's from also helps us to reframe what, what's realistic, yeah. where we need to focus. And sometimes we've had, and I had to, I mean, I had to, when I stepped out of uh, an administrative job uh, over at BMRC, it's like... Um, I knew I, I could not continue living up to the expectations of, of the job mm. or myself and where my priority and my focus needed to be and my health. And so that was, a, that was a big jump. And then I didn't stay. And then I thought, do I want to continue? Much like you said, if we, if we don't have those times of uh, discernment, of, of you know, in looking into ourselves and, and asking ourselves and reframing and all the the pros and cons, so to speak, then if we don't do that, somehow we are floundering and not helping anybody, not helping ourselves or anybody else. But I did make that decision and um, and took some time to do that. Not everybody has that vocationally because there's money involved. People stay in, in positions because of their insurance. <laughs> They're you know, I gotta pay the bills. Yeah. So they don't have the control over it. So sometimes they have to stay in things and th- and that's mentioned in here, stay in situations that are not necessarily what they what they see as being the best vocation, but mm-hmm. they have to reframe what can I what can I do, what can I have control over, what can I manage and, and maybe looking through new eyes. That's one of the other sayings she yeah. says. To the reframe is, you know, not looking at what's in front of you, but what rather is um, looking through new eyes, maybe seeing something else. Yeah, I, this, I mean, I always love the act of taking off my glasses and wiping them clean and then putting them back on because and I realize... How did I see anything yeah, in the first place? Yeah. Dang, these things got smudged. I say that and I hold them up to the light now and I am ashamed of what the, these glasses look like. I will need to do the same thing there, but... And it is. It is a fresh perspective. It is an opportunity to, uh, to, <laughs> with these frames on my face, to reframe, to clean, yeah, to, yeah. to clean it off. Look with this fresh perspective, new eyes, new lenses on life. And I mean, and I think it's one of the one of my favorite things to do. This act of reframing when when reading scripture and and, yeah. and you know getting into a parable. Let's reframe this. Let's let's look at it from a different perspective. Let's. Um, I, I often enjoy that in preaching of taking mm-hmm. you know a traditional interpretive lens of a of a parable and turning it upside down mm-hmm. and saying I just want to see how it looks. Yep. Let's just let's just hold it and look at it like that's this right. because that's well, that might not be the way that we we feel that it settles. We might not be okay with that interpretation, but let's be challenged by it a little bit. Let's look at it in a different way because we're going to come to a new sense of understanding. We're mm-hmm. going to come to a new sense of of purpose there and. But also, you know, we, we talk about the relationships that can create some, um, you know, some of the conflicts that we have or create the tension, part of the trauma. Yeah. Um, but people, but allowing other people to help us reframe that too, to, to help yeah. see, you know, by seeking out some counsel, seeking out 
saying, you know, I need, I need some perspective. Yeah. I, need, I need some help in looking. And, and what I'm seeing really what's going on. Is this, is this something I can really manage? And so talking it through can help you even come up with, sometimes it makes you feel better knowing that they're all feeling the same way. Maybe together we can do this better. Maybe I, I'm just ready to say I'm ready to throw in the towel and quit this job. Yeah. But then sometimes when you find a way, especially as I supervise people, trying to get some perspective of coming up with a new plan. Maybe maybe we need to have 10 people doing this and we don't have enough resources and money, but what is it that we can do that we can all do together other than doing it the same way? Right. And so, I mean, that gets into some systems and some changes there, but yeah. um, that, that in, my, in my job there administratively, that, that had to be my biggest challenge because I wasn't dealing with, you know, a case or a family issue problem. I was dealing with uh, program delivery, program, and, and then had people that needed to be the doers. And um, while I learned a lot about myself, um, it was very difficult when I could not do those things on a bigger scale. When I saw a bigger need and I couldn't meet those needs and, and those folks that were really needy. Um, I mean, I can give an example of policy change. Um, you know, Medicare, Medicaid wouldn't pay for certain things. Um, and we had to come up with a policy of saying we can only have so many people that are on any kind of public assistance. Where we, it was always open, you know, we always said we accept this. We have to say, well, we have like a, you know, a limited amount. We were still helping people in need, mm -hmm. but we can only do this many. So it was that question of a faith-based nonprofit saying, well, you're turning poor people away. You are just dealing with money now. You're just dealing with the rich people that can afford these things. Well, what did they say? There's not a mission without a margin or margin without a mission. There's a saying mm -hmm. about you got to look into that, and that's, that, that's true with the church. That's yeah. true with... Um, all the lovely nonprofits that we have in town that I work mm -hmm. with for resourcing services, um, you know, and, and yet people say, well, you know, I pay my taxes. They, we, they should do these things. I've paid this, and it's like, but there's less and less. So I get frustrated on a large macro systems perspective when there's not um, when there's not enough need, especially when somebody comes to the church and asks for that as well, go apply over social services. Well, they've already done that. They have those things. And yeah. So we have that through church community, and it's really still not enough. So yeah. I can get on my little soapbox here. Well, it's a great soapbox to be on because it does, I mean, it, it hands off beautifully to the to the south direction of building oh. building compassion and community because, yeah. you know, she you talk about the people that are involved in this and the relationships that we uh, that we hold. She lifts up in this section developing a microculture of supportive friends and families mm -hmm. wherein we create an environment that sustains us. Um, she pairs this direction with the the earth, earth as an element. So um, our north direction was water, our east direction was fire. Yeah, and I saw that this on there. Is, like, yeah. This is earth, it's, and it's, but it's a grounding sense. Building yeah. compassion and community is a grounding thing. By being compassionate to ourselves and others, we ground ourselves. This is where we come out of isolation, tap into the core energies of Mother Nature, and tend to both our individual and collective health and wellness. And I, I like that she, she lifts up this element of starting with a microculture because... 
sometimes we when you, we talk about the the people and the expectations that we carry uh, from others, and, and that can really be a barrier to how we reshift focus to how we come to a sense of why we do what we do. Um, carrying the expectations of others can really get in the way of us fearlessly and faithfully asking those questions of us. And so, when she's talking about cultivating a microculture. It's it's a there's a delicate balance there with this balances the west direction we'll get to that but I think even within this there's a delicate balance of a microculture doesn't equal an echo chamber mm-hmm. um, but there is an inherent understanding within a microculture like she's describing of being people who will ask you good questions and faithfully be there for you and support you. And it doesn't have to be a hundred people, but these are not the people that are laying extra burdens on you. And so coming to this step, coming to this direction, I think can be challenging for someone. There's a back, it's sort of a backwards path as I read this of building compassion and community is that you might need to downsize community for a season to focus on this microculture, to focus on those people that are there for you, who champion you, who love you, who are not adding extra burdens mm-hmm. to your life, mm-hmm. to then be able to re-engage with wider community and then be able to engage with communities beyond beyond that. But there's this attending uh, to the to the to the ones that are right around you. Um, she says a microculture is simply a community, but I like the term because it reminds us that our chosen group may nurture us by emphasizing a different set of values than the culture at large. So that place where you resonate, those people with whom you resonate, it can be small. Mm-hmm. And and so there's this, it, it feels like an interesting course of of discernment and of direction to build community by by maybe even shrinking community at first mm-hmm. and finding that you're reaffirmed. Well, we can use examples of, of let's say, of course, there's topics of advocacy uh, mm. in, in the community where we, there's people of like um, focus, that they want to um, create services and programs for, uh, let's say, domestic violence. And I'll use that as an example. Um, and then you find that, uh, or somebody who's gone through maybe their own trauma, mm-hmm. and and so they've found a natural group, a support kind of group. But then they they have moved beyond or grown, and with their own discernment, that they feel supported by this group, and that they can collectively make some changes. Um, that, in my own simple simplistic kind of terms, I kind of see it that way. But we do that informally. Um, you know, talking about where I'm at in my life, it's like I I I had work friends. Mm-hmm. I I uh, of course I have families and my siblings, uh, sister and and of course my daughters, um, and how we spend our time. And, and they're the supports, but also know that I needed more than just this group. That I am now seeking out um, through a focus of, of some interest, kind of whether it's gardening or books or 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 church ministry, um, music, you know. So I'm I'm looking at how can we I can find these small groups. Um, and we talked about this a little bit about the changes from COVID and mm-hmm. the sheer problem of people being more and more isolated yeah 
and and yet we're feeling those things but yeah how do we create these small groups or these supportive groups and these support support groups can all be different people i mean people that may have different type of backgrounds but then we find that's a safe place so we're recognizing the need to do it whether it's in a and the church is a safe place it can be a vulnerable place yeah but it can be also a, a place to start that that um, tension between um, support and, and vulnerability and, and uh, some risk taking is is kind of what happens at church at times and, and uh, why people come and go. Um, but we want to make it a safe place. We want you know with our larger community. How can we do that? Oh, don't wish I had the answer. Totally. No, it's so. not a. It, it's I not know a, we all. I always easy. try to think. Okay, what can I do to fix this? You know, we always want to fix it, but it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do. I'm, I was looking up here uh, a resource for uh, that I, that I've heard of and have really appreciated, and I can't find exactly the person um, who who did this. There's been a number of folks that have cultivated it in different ways, but they, they've talked about um, creating not necessarily a safe space, but a brave space. Well, that's like that. Yeah. And, and it's to say, and uh, where it's it's going to be almost impossible for, um, for, for a community with a wide variety of perspectives and a, a lot of different people um, being part of it to uh, create a safe space for everyone. We try. We really want to make sure that a space where everyone can be safe. But there's a, I think within a larger, and, and I think within our within our microcultures, we can create safe space and truly safe space with those that we trust. But as we open up to bigger circles, and particularly I look at a wider church community, it is I think there's there comes a balance point when we need to look at it as a brave space mm-hmm. to say where we are all going to bravely step into this space. Um, and we can't promise that no one's going to feel hurt here, but we're going to try to be vulnerable and honest and accountable with one another to respond with grace to to one another and to name the hurts and to to be attentive to the needs of our of our community. Um, but there is a really, really important need for the safe space. There is an important need for the micro communities where you can feel supported. And and in this sort of trajectory that she lays out in this in this chapter on direction being south, building compassion and community, um, she says she has a section of practicing compassion for myself and others um, with a really wonderful quote that I love uh, from Jack Cornfield, an American Buddhist monk and educator, who says, if your compassion does not include yourself, it is incomplete. Yeah. And so this idea yeah. of community building that backs up to micro communities backs up even further to say, start with yourself. It's yeah. everything we talked about in that last section, self-compassion first. is the It's the first step towards having an authentic compassion for those that are around you, whether it's a microculture or a macroculture, mm-hmm. um, and this makes me think yeah. of there's there's some discussion in this book too about um, the idea of, of being a victim. Mm. It's like you know we can uh, take on that role if we're if we're in a let's say a work setting that you know um, it's I say toxic work setting that we can complain about it and everything else, but if we don't look into ourselves and saying what am I doing to contribute to this, or mm. it could be in a church community, what am I doing to that 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 taking on the role of, of vic- being the victim is not um, 
not necessarily looking into yourself or or self-care it tends to be the blame game it's somebody else's fault you know it's it, you know if everybody else changes you know i can't help but think of how we need to everybody else needs to change everybody <laughs> just follows the way i go it's just right. fine you know it's just like, but that's not how it works that's not <laughs> the idea of of refocusing and reframing um everybody else but not ourselves so right. you know that's another that's another whole conversation but uh but the fact there there was some discussion about this whole uh victim that if we take on that role of victim mm. in, in a trauma in a trauma situation that um it's it's everybody else and sometimes people leave church because mm-hmm. of some hurt or some anger or or a belief mm-hmm. that things um how they used to be right change um, this is these directions are all about change too. Yeah, well, not just you know about change, changing. Uh, I say a focus, changing, reframing how we look at things, uh, giving ourselves some um, compassion as well as other people, and that for some it, that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, it's a hard thing, especially if they've been uh, traumatized in their own vulnerability, you know? Yeah, so. well, and, and I think there is... Uh, it, yeah, she gets into good conversation in here about about the the aspects of being victims. Um, and, and there are some... There are certainly some situations that are large and systemic where where you are, and, and, and you are a victim of, of where you are, and, and all the mindset shifting in the world might not change the very real pain that you're, mm-hmm. uh, that you're experiencing. And, and so... Um, there is a there kind of what you're getting into yeah, in yeah. here with this. There's a distinction here between uh, the victim blaming, pull yourself up by your bootstraps yeah. sort of approach um, versus turning to self compassion yeah. in that of recognizing. You know what she lifts up in the early sections of this book about the reality of joy and pain. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That it is okay to experience joy. Mm-hmm, it is mm-hmm. okay to cultivate joy for yourself and for your communities yeah. uh, as an act of resistance and to be very honest about yeah. the pain that is mm-hmm. uh, that is around you. Uh, some people, it's, it's hard for some people to move on to that victimization. It's like mm-hmm. that, that if, and, and, I, and I see this in trying to help people, you know, being the helper, they don't may not want to take the resources or accept the resources or they're angry about and they've oftentimes gone through some kind of trauma where there's issues of trust yeah. and security. So how I can help uh, through compassionate eyes understand where they are. I think I said once um, we were talking another time about there's a book of, of what happened to you. And it was a book, and I wish I could remember the author, but it, it basically it's about understanding people's trauma in their life so that you makes you understand their behavior now, what, what's mm-hmm. happened now, you know, could be they're in jail, they've been abused, or alcohol, or it can be all this, the big trauma tease, mm-hmm. but understanding what happened, and that's that compassion. I see that as compassion. So, yeah. so. Um, well, and we, we talked about earlier before, before we were recording the, one of the things that to lift up in this section is the, um, to reiterate from an earlier section is the aspect of the misery Olympics where you know, we can play with ourselves, be like, no, 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 my, my trauma is not valid because it's so much smaller yeah. than this other trauma that's happening yeah. in the world. You know, I, my, the pain that I'm feeling right now in my heart, the things that's leaving me sleepless, that's leaving me angry, that's leaving me mm-hmm. completely dissociated and, and completely breaking down my normal life. Yeah, it's not as bad as somebody who's yeah. in Gaza right now. Yeah, I know. Okay, maybe not. Yeah. You're not in yeah. an active war zone, but it doesn't mean you're not hurting. It doesn't yeah. mean that that pain isn't going to 
produce more pain. And so that that self-compassion really plays a role there because I think part of what can help in being able to pull someone out of the uh, of a of a place of being a persistent victims because I mean the, continuing to be victimized continuing to be oppressed and beaten down is is so real and so valid and I think that a big part of what can bring somebody up from that is empowerment and when she's talking about these directions it's it really is about empowering ourselves and our community mm-hmm. um, and, and, and cultivating this, this direction within the sense of directions within community is about empowering mm-hmm. one another to, to know yourself, to, to, to have volition in where you place your focus, to have, uh, to have a choice of those around uh, who surround you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There is, there is value in that and being, Empowered, and and so she she gets into she's building the circle wider throughout this whole section of starting with self, microcultures, um, your wider communities, and and she starts talking about what can I do for large scale large scale systemic change, um, because there's plenty of people that work in these uh, that they're doing important work within these major systems where you feel like it's you against the world yeah. as you look at some of these things that are totally stacked against you. And, and she says that, she said that said, if we have the energy, that's a big if, if we are inspired, mm-hmm. and it's a big mm-hmm. thing about mm-hmm. these directions, mm-hmm. and if we feel that we can interact with the larger systems while preserving our integrity and a healthy and hopeful sense of self, yeah. then we have the choice to support transformation on a larger scale. And, and, and that, that was one of my favorite things. Yeah. You know, and you're looking at the, the staying inspired, and it, it comes in ebb, ebb and flow that we have to constantly keep looking how we do that. Right. But as you were talking about the the uh, trauma uh, or the um, uh, you know big T little T trauma, it's just that as people talk about something they're going through, that's where we as I say helpers, as caregivers, as uh, the role of social workers, as as uh, church members, you know, mm-hmm. supporting each other is just acknowledging that other person's pain, feelings, seeing that that it's valid. It's yeah. it's understandable. Just saying that's understandable. Yeah. You know, it's understandable. Does it mean there's it's right or wrong? Does it mean you're good or bad? Does it mean it's not as important as somebody who's you know dealing with a, a major death? Uh, you know, it it it's still valid at this time. So we just uh, recognizing those feelings, recognizing where that person is coming from, kind of is is the first step, and in how we can. And, and in essence, that helps us to better understand. Tell me more. You know, that's there's um. A woman, that a podcast that I listen to, and that's her mantra is like, "Tell me more." And I thought, mm-hmm. well, that's you know, just you, know, you need to hear those stories. You need to hear those things to have to understand. Yeah, you may not agree, but to understand, yeah. So, yeah. well, this this uh, the the compassion, you know, dealing with compassion is a big one. It is, and I, I think that for yourself as well as somebody else too. Yeah, well, and compassion seems to be this balance point. We keep coming back to yeah. compassion in all these yeah. different conversations, um, and 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 I I appreciate the the framing, of, the conditional framing of that of the way that we engage with the large scale yeah. social changes is to say no. There's a lot of other things that can be factored. And there might be days that you can handle this, and days that you can't. Mm-hmm. And and part of that that compassion for your community 
that needs to be refocused back to yourself, that needs to be refocused back to your microculture um, before it can be back to the, to the wider world around you. Um, I think for, for me, in one of the areas that I've found um, where I've struggled and, and I'm working hard on it is finding balance. And this is the west direction, the final direction that she lifts up here. Um, she pairs this with the element of air uh, in, in here, which I really do love that. Uh, she says, coming full circle into the West, we call upon the strength and introspection of the air element by striving to achieve balance in our lives, moving energy through and reminding ourselves of all that we are grateful for. We attend to needs as basic as the air we breathe. We celebrate the strength we receive by connecting to our inner self through our breath. The air is seen as universal power in traditional cultures. When we honor the changing winds, we see the impermanence of everything and understand the beauty of being awake for the here and now. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I lifted this up, I think, in our, in our last episode with the, uh, the, the very embodied sense of caring for self there. Of, of, it felt very, uh, very much like the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Mark. Um, the kingdom of God is here. Behold. It is. It is here and now. Repent and believe in the good news. It's. It's right here. And and this aspect of being awake for the here and now. This these these elements of our life and and celebration and strength and gratitude, uh, being as natural as the air we breathe. Uh, I think is. It's interesting they use the 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 example of air and balance. You know that's but yeah. but it is we have to think we have to breathe out breathe in we have to you know we have to have air we can't you know we just we need it to sustain us we can't continue on without it so yeah mm-hmm. they I do like the the questions it gets into the how tos you know the the book has the interesting in this section it says let's try this it has these mm-hmm. conversations so if anybody has this book and they want to read through it it they are very uh, enlightening questions. Um, but finding a balance, whenever I think of balance, you know, you talk about work-home balance. Yeah. And as you talk about a new baby and having to reframe and relook at your expectations and everything else, it comes down to that. <laughs> it's like you only have so many hours in the day. But also you have, you'll have a baby that won't fit necessarily in your control as mm-hmm. far as their schedule. Yep. And, uh, and then there's the dynamics within couples. And then if you look at family systems... <laughs> You look at, you know, that, and there are, there's only so much balance you can really do. Some days you might find it go very well, and other days it's not going to. I struggled with that as mm-hmm. a working mom, and a lot of it was my own expectations, how I wanted my home to be and how I wanted my work to be, mm-hmm. and I felt like I couldn't do anything well. Nothing. Yeah. N- nothing well. Let alone my marriage. No. Yeah. <laughs> my husband didn't tell me that, tell you that. But it's like, you know, and, and, um, so this balance probably is the hardest thing in, I say, in that midline stage when you're dealing with your vocation, your home, and and you're constantly having to refocus and reframe and, and um, inquire. Is like, <laughs> is this how I want things to be? Why? What do I do? How do I spend my time? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it feels like a very natural force. Um, you know, the laws of motion, uh, say for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Um, I, I remember that getting just seared into my brain um, as, a, as a kid in the early lessons in physics. Um, but that is, I mean, that is a force of, a force of nature. We, mm-hmm. um, we 
we recognize that and um, and, and and so there there is a lot of this that is that is balanced. It's the breathing in, it's the breathing out, and and so often we think that you know I've gone uh, there there are there are times that are unbalanced times. Um, where we talk about our relationships. Yeah, yeah. Spouses are the ones that, that see you the most that can probably say, yep, I can name the times that you uh, were, were out of balance and, and not yourself. And um, I think there's the, the permission giving for ourselves that comes with recognizing that time, there are seasons of life that are unbalanced. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I love the high liturgical days of holy week that's a very unbalanced time in my life in my calling and 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 so and then even with the unexpected micro seasons of life where uh someone someone in the community dies um I, I know that my regular to-do list gets dropped so i can be there with the family mm-hmm. but the challenge i think comes from that of have I of when I'm not doing the corrective rebalancing like yes this thing has pulled me over this direction fine that happens we can recognize that have I allowed myself to balance back Mm -hmm. have I and, and I'll say okay I'll take an extra hour for myself that day did you only give an hour to the way that that overextended you and and the, the the things that you were you were bearing in your heart and soul as you cared for this uh, for this community who was hurting for this person who was hurting uh, for this time of joy that was going to be taking a lot of energy out of you? You know, I, I gave myself like an extra hour to sleep in. I wonder why I'm still so, feeling so out of balance. Yeah, and and and. Yeah, that that goes back to, again, how how do I look at this? How do I, I mean, there's going to be times. But I think, and I'm at a season in my life, too, that, you know, I I don't have the constraints of, of, I say, a full-time vocation, Mm -hmm. a full-time job. Um, And I have have some things within my control, and I can say yes or no, Um, you know. Children, you can you can't say you can't say no. I don't want to do it with you today. So you know you just go put yourself to bed. You know you're not. You know, it's just not the way it's going to be. As I watch my daughter uh, and my grandsons, you know, just as I remembered the harried, uh, crazy times of you know that balance. So um, I think you, I can look at it again in a different perspective. But needless to say, every day you find a balance of. Of what you can do with meaning and being and accepting and letting go, mm-hmm. you know that that's all part of balance. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know your next your next presenter or, or host would be able to talk about balance very well there too, because I know bringing it all together is. What are you going to talk about next time? Yeah. Well, and and and, and that is we're going to be getting into the the fifth uh, the fifth direction there that act of being centered. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I uh, that sounds really hard. And I haven't does. read that. <laughs> I haven't read that section yet. I read up to this point, but I thought, okay, that's that's again centering ourselves. Sounds yep. like it's something way out there. This like you know sounds good. Yeah, great in theory, <laughs> but but I think that's the the sense of um of where these directions come from is this this the act of of being centered 
and and knowing knowing who you are, this sense of intention, I yeah. think is what we get into yeah. in this last yeah. section, is is that, that sense of intention, this this sense of self, the sense of community, the sense of compassion, yeah. all of these factors are what guide us and what allow us to be led. And I think that's mm-hmm. that is a mm-hmm. part of the of the surrendering ourselves that goes with this um, is is where is the spirit leading you? Because we are still in the reality that we talked about two episodes ago, two sections of this book ago, where the 16 warning signs of trauma exposure response are still very, very real. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, I read that chapter of this book, and therefore, I got I, it. I got I'm it. I, everything's all fixed. Won't ever be touched again. Yeah, yeah. I, know. Yeah. Uh, I read that. I read that <laughs> whole section on change from the inside out, and so I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I'm changed. Yeah. No, no, no. This is, the, this is a lifelong practice, because different traumas will emerge, different callings will emerge, different seasons will, and, and so this... I think the centering is a big aspect of knowing who you are, but this, as we were talking about before, like these directions, she's, she was not offering all the answers in mm-hmm. here, that really it feels much more like un- helping you understand what directions you can go, but this fifth direction is, I think, going to bring us back to what is leading you. And, and you know, for a person of faith, I, I talk about where is the spirit leading you? Where is the, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the one who walks alongside you, well, leading the, you to go? The concept of we're really not in control. I mean, it's like we're there and, and, and there's a biblical text that talk about letting go, letting God, mm-hmm. you know, just giving it over to to God, giving it, you know, giving it away, um, you know, there's uh, how, you know, it, it's not my will, you know, and, and yet we hold on to uh, all of, I mean, these, even these directions, it's like, and finding balance, it's like, oh yeah, we'll plan out our day and do this, and, and we still mm-hmm. try to, we still try to control everything, I mean, I, we do, yeah. but letting go is what we, the centering is about, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that there's some elements of this. I mean, when finding finding balance in here, she lifts up some elements like gratitude um, as being a really important thing, mm-hmm. and it, it feels like a um, uh, like a focus shifting thing. But it's um, you know, if we just say we say gratitude, it's not a complicated set of instructions. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But to to say if we walk with a spirit of gratitude, she talks in this uh, aspect of letting in, moving energy through. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think I love that image of a deep breath. I had to do this with my confirmands on, on Sunday uh, where they, you know, they had a whole week with a, interrupted by a bunch of snow days. So they came into confirmation, I mean, <laughs> pretty rowdy. And so we started by taking a deep breath. Yeah. And another deep breath. We did some breathing exercises. And then they immediately chimed in with how they felt about that. But it, it calmed them down a little bit. And it, and it did. It allowed them to kind of just... Move the air through to find this sense of balance. We got out of balance again a little bit quicker than I was hoping, but it was fine. I mean, it, it, but it did rebalance us in a way to take this deep breath and let the sort of chaotic energy that we were bringing move through us to be able to be together. Mm-hmm. And and so she's she talks about re, re, uh, allowing energy to flow again. She's leaning into a lot of Eastern wisdom here, but I think that. Um, you know, there's a lot that we see in the way of Jesus as he is 
letting I see the way that he's lets the negative energy of those around him flow right through him um, to say like should we pay our taxes to Caesar well whose face is on the coin I mean he's just moving the energy so right through so and, and yeah. he's he's working his way through the snares who is our neighbor um, and, and 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 so like there's all these different things where Jesus is letting the the energy of uh, of the world around him move through while being very attuned to it and expressing gratitude. I mean, thanking God constantly. And I think these are, these are really important balance points of this, uh, of this whole, whole conversation. And so, um, with these four senses of direction, we'll get to this fifth sense in our in our final episode of this uh, of this series. Which I'm excited uh, to do that next week. But um, this. I, I want to to conclude and wrap this up with a uh, reflection on Mark chapter six. This is the mission of the twelve uh, here, and Jesus lifts it up lifts it up from Mark chapter six. This is verses seven through thirteen. Uh, it says Jesus called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. I love this model. Mm-hmm. I love this model for mission. I love this model for community. You've got little microcultures here. Mm-hmm. They've got their microculture of the twelve. Then he sends them out into little microcultures of two by two. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's and there's a biblical mandate for that in, in Deuteronomy that you know two uh, you needed two to bring charges against someone to, to prove the guilt here. But Jesus is also um, saying that in, in this kind of way, it's not about bringing guilt to places, but bringing truth and mm-hmm. and the hope of the kingdom. Um, but it's also relationships, too. It is. It's, yeah. it's like you can't, in dealing with any of these things, it's like going out together, doing yeah. it, doing it together. Yeah. And, and there's this yeah. unburdened yeah. sense of it. And, and I think that was a, a lot of what we were, mm-hmm. we were talking about here, I mean, the, the ways that, that relationships can become toxic and mm-hmm. uh, the ways that we need to cultivate our smaller communities uh, along the way. Um, some of these, some of these different elements that can emerge, is a way of like letting of say, I'm going to not carry this burden with me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, Jesus is saying, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, uh, no expectations, mm-hmm. no negative Nancys, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, no self doubt, yeah. no self deprecation. Yeah. Don't carry those things with you. Mm-hmm. That's a burden. Mm-hmm. Why are you taking those on the road? And and I love the the response of. Um, if they won't welcome you, they refuse to hear you. Leave. Yeah. Shake the dust off your feet. Mm-hmm. And and there's another uh, one of the gospels where um, Jesus is is questioned, and the disciples are pretty full of themselves, and they, they say, um, "Do you want us to call down fire from heaven uh, against them?" Just what? What? No. Stop. No. Absolutely not. That's not what we do. Um, Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go out two by two. They won't receive you. You shake the dust off your feet. Mm-hmm. So when, when paired with, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? 
versus shake the dust off of your shoes, two very, very different yeah. responses. And, it's and kind of just let it go. Yeah. Let it go. And again, the setting down yeah. of the burden yeah. with yeah. you. Let it go. And so there, I, and you know, he doesn't outline a roadmap here. Mm-mm. He outlines a way. Mm-hmm. And trust, and there's a trust to this and, and a way that they're going to be led that I think is really beautiful and really powerful. Um, and, and so I'm grateful uh, to, to have this example set before us here mm-hmm. of what it means to be commissioned, what does it mean to be in mission together uh, as, as God's people, what a gift it is, what grace it is to say that the way is not about having more stuff, having the right answers, but about walking unencumbered. You have everything you need mm-hmm. to walk in this way. Now be led in the directions that the Spirit is leading you. Mm-hmm. In these four, five, as we get into yeah. it next week, directions. Yeah. And we're not alone. Way. We're not alone. Yeah. We're not alone. And so one of the encouragements uh, I want to offer, we, we like to usually end with uh, some questions as uh, as we go, but I, I love some of these different uh, opportunities that are raised in the try this section. Uh, I'll read one from each of the each of the four directions here. Um, from the north direction of creating space for inquiry, she asks, um, she says to try this. If you think that trauma mastery is one reason you're drawn to your work, assess how else you are attending to this original trauma in other areas of your life. Are there additional ways to support your healing, thereby decreasing your potential dependence on your work in this regard? Fearless sort of question that we can we can bear to our uh, to our work of uh, of being mindful in the in the ways that we serve. Uh, for chapter nine, the east direction of choosing our focus. Uh, she says, for one day, commit to paying attention to the running commentary in your mind. Is your mind in the habit of seeing the glass as half empty or half full? Are you able to reframe things as half full? Or do you feel an investment in seeing things as half empty? Mm-hmm. I, really, I really liked that. Of all yeah. of the reflections, and the, and I like that one a lot. The cartoons, the uh, you know, the little things in there, something about the house burning down. And, yes. And with the moon and picture of a moon, it's like, at least I now can see the moon. So, you know, it's like, you know, my house burnt down, but I could see the moon. See yeah. the moon. <laughs> I love that one. So that's a good reframing. Yeah. Uh, for the south direction of building compassion and community, uh, she offers identify the members of your microculture. To what degree do they nurture hopefulness, accountability, and integrity? Think about whether you could use stronger role models in any of these areas. And then finally, in the west direction of finding balance. Um, I love this encouragement to lean into the gratitude that's around you. She says, every single day, think of one person you are grateful to and tell that person so. Mm-hmm. Tell that person so. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the important part. You can start with those close to you and slowly branch out to expressing your gratitude for all the teachers. Well, in your I'm life. I'm grateful for you asking me to do this, and I'm grateful for you just because this is a it's always a good opportunity just to have a nice conversation. So I appreciate your I, gift. Yes, I appreciate you being here and, <laughs> and giving your time. I really do. This is a wonderful uh, wonderful conversation, a wonderful opportunity. Um, and so thank well, you. Well, this oh, and I'm looking forward to just uh, and I would. Encourage encourage anybody else uh, that's listening and other people, church members that uh, this is a fun way of, of doing some some Bible study or if we want to call it Bible study yeah. or just study, yeah. learning, um, self-development, um, you know, growth. 
I think this is a great way of doing it. So hopefully this will take off. And uh, it's always great to have big groups, have book clubs. I know your mom wants yeah. a book club. Yep, I know. I'm, I mentioned Inca, so she, yeah. she's listening. Hello, hello, mom. <laughs> um, you know, we just talked about that too. So, but this is a, a, a good opportunity. Yeah. yeah, and and so that is one of the encouragements that uh, I always like to offer is to say I I don't necessarily just want to throw those questions or to try <laughs> know, this out into out into nothing. Um, you know, find your microculture yeah. uh, with with this and. And uh, engage. This is yeah. It's book. It's Bible study. It's a little bit of both. We'll see. The yeah. future of this might lean in uh, in different directions as we as we try different things with the Wellspring podcast. But um, yeah, the, I want to I want to encourage everyone to discuss these questions, these topics, these chapters with a conversation partner. Um, and you know, whatever you're comfortable sharing, you're also invited to share your reflections in the comment section for our uh, Muhlenberg Lutheran Facebook page or on Instagram at Muhlenberg LC or on YouTube wherever you engage with your podcast you're welcome to share so thank you for gathering with us today around the wellspring we are looking forward to another episode uh, the last one in this series which takes place next week you can learn more about our Muhlenberg congregation online or by joining us for worship each Sunday at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time with the 11 o'clock service streamed live on Facebook and YouTube your financial support of the Ministry of Muhlenberg makes the many ministries, including digital ones like this, possible for our community. You can make your gifts online at muhlenberglutheran.org give. I am Pastor Alex Zuber. I'm Karen Barnes. And I am so glad we could be together today. I pray that God's grace has bubbled up to meet you wherever you are. Now, go in peace to live out Christ's love.